All right, good morning. We are, uh, everybody have a set of notes? Everybody have some notes here? Have some left over, maybe. All right, we're looking, uh, starting a new uh, section here, a new uh, teaching on the book of Philippians. And uh, I've entitled this Unity for the Sake of the Gospel. I didn't uh, get this all on my own, looked around and see what... One of the things about uh, teaching books of the Bible and so forth is people often try to come up with a central idea or a central theme. What what is the central theme of this book? And that's often hard to do with some books. Like we just finished 1 Corinthians, and there's hardly any central idea with... uh, uh, Corinthians. Paul is just dealing with a series of issues, a series of problems in the church. And there's not hardly a central idea. Uh, this one, you know, you've probably heard people say the theme of Philippians is joy, that kind of thing. Uh, but one of the things that comes through quite strong is this need for unity in order to pursue the gospel mission that God has given us. So this is a common one, and I think it comes through pretty strongly, unity for the sake of the gospel. And uh, I've titled week one, The Church That Paul Loved. Obviously, uh, if you look at Paul's epistles, he'll say he loves the people in a lot of the churches, but, you know, after having talked through 1 Corinthians, I think I can say... Paul probably loved the Philippians more than the Corinthians. I don't know if that's really true or not, but, you know, the, the Corinthians churches had a lot of issues, a lot of problems. And one reason I say that is because the Corinthians actually challenged Paul's authority as an apostle. And uh, that's a difficult issue to deal with. And that's not true of the Philippian church. They had some issues internally and so forth, but, you know, they were, they were very fond of the apostle Paul. They supported him when he first left uh, um, Philippi, they were concerned about him when he's in Rome here. So uh, that's uh, that's a little different situation. And they do have a very close relationship, as we'll see. So today we're looking at an introduction to the book, and then next week we'll actually get into the book. The first thing we want to look at is authorship. Uh, of course, the book is written by the Apostle Paul. It says in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. You may have wondered sometimes about these uh, opening statements where Paul's name is often mentioned with someone else. Here it says, Paul and Timothy, writing to all God's holy people. You might get that idea. You might think that they are co-authors and so forth. But that's not that's not the case. Uh, Paul, when he's writing his epistles, will often include in the opening the names of people that are with him at the time, people that the writers would know. And in this case, he includes uh, Timothy, who was a well-known Christian leader, especially at Philippi, and who was with Paul now uh, at this time. Now, it's certain that Paul is the author when you look at these epistles, because even though he says Paul and Timothy, later on as the epistle goes along, he will make statements that are just true of him. He will say, uh, 
I thank my God every time I remember you. He doesn't say we. I always pray. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy that I may be cheered. I, 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 I. So this is Paul writing, and it's not Timothy writing. Timothy is just associated with the Apostle Paul. But Timothy had been with the Apostle Paul at the founding of the church in Acts chapter 16. We'll look at that in just a moment here. He had probably also been with the Apostle Paul at subsequent times. Paul visited Philippi probably at least three times, first on the second missionary journey, as we'll see, and then later on his third missionary journey a couple of times in Acts 19, Acts chapter 20. I say here in B, Paul wrote 13 of the books in the New Testament, and Philippians is probably the 10th. It's part of a group, the books of Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians, are termed the prison epistles or prison letters because Paul mentions being a prisoner in each of these letters and every one of them. He talks about being in chains or being a prisoner. Uh, He's also a prisoner at the time of the writing of 2 Timothy. It's generally accepted that the four prison epistles, prison letters, were written during Paul's two-year Imprisonment reported by Luke in Acts chapter 28-30 where it says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. I say it's also believed that Paul was released, conducted a fourth missionary journey, not recorded in Acts, was rearrested, executed in Rome. It was during that final imprisonment that he wrote Second Timothy. So there's the order of Paul's epistles that I've given you there and about when he wrote them. So let's review our knowledge of the book of Acts here just for a moment and think about when things happen. So the Apostle Paul is converted in which chapter of the book of Acts? Chapter 9. Remember, he's on the road to Damascus, and uh, he... uh, sees a vision of the Lord and so forth and he's carried into Damascus and Ananias comes and, and is sent to him and so forth. What happens to the Apostle Paul then after that? studies three years. Okay. The first thing he does is uh, he goes down to Jerusalem, doesn't he? Or does he? No, he didn't go to Jerusalem directly. But as you said, as you were saying there, he uh, goes off into Arabia. He uh, he is he is for about three years or something. He comes back, and then it says in Galatians, after three years, he goes down to Jerusalem for the first time, and um, he stays there fifteen days. You remember. He stays there 15 days, and he sees some of the apostles and so forth and so on. And then it says in Galatians, he goes back off, back home to, to where he was born, in Tarsus, Syria, and Cilicia. So the apostle Paul is saved. For three years, he's doing something, doing some sort of ministry maybe. It's three years, kind of, we don't know exactly what's going on. It says he... He goes into the area of Arabia. He goes, uh, we're not sure, somewhere outside of Damascus. He comes back. He goes to Jerusalem. 
He then goes by ship back to his home city of Tarsus, Syrian Cilicia. And he stays there, and these are kind of silent years. We don't know anything that happened to him. This is about a seven-year period he's there. And the next time we see the Apostle Paul is when Barnabas comes up to Antioch. He's sent there by the church at Jerusalem to hear about the gospel has come to Antioch. There are believers there. And he comes to Antioch and he says, I need some help teaching these people. So he goes over to Tarsus. He gets Paul and brings him back to Antioch. Remember, that's Acts chapter 11. And then Barnabas and Paul are set down in Jerusalem for what's called the famine relief visit. They go down, bring some offerings for the saints down there. They come back to Antioch. And then Acts chapter 13 is the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Remember that? Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. So Acts chapter 13, Paul goes out on his first missionary journey. He goes to the area of Galatia. He comes back in AD 49, and that's when Galatians is written. You see Galatians written from Antioch after Paul's first missionary journey in AD 49. That's his first epistle. So Paul uh, comes back, he writes that epistle, he goes to Jerusalem in Acts 15. For what reason? What's in Acts 15? The Jerusalem Council. Remember, there is a council about deciding, because some people had come to Antioch and said, Gentiles need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Well, that's not true. So Barnabas, so Paul and some others, they go down to Jerusalem, they have a council, and they determine, no, that's not true. Gentiles don't have to. They write a letter, and they say, and Paul is going to take this letter to, uh, Paul and Barnabas are going to take this letter back to the Gentile churches they have established. And so uh, they have a falling out, you remember, about Mark because he had deserted them on the first missionary journey. And so Paul, on this second missionary journey, remember he takes, remember who he takes with him? Silas. He takes Silas with him. And uh, he goes, uh, well, let's take a look at that. But let's look, let's look first of all, let, let us just, just continue going through that and then we'll come back to this. So he writes... 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians on his second missionary journey there. Notice 1 and 2 Thessalonians. That's from Corinth because on his second missionary journey he goes ultimately to Corinth. He writes 1 and 2 Thessalonians. On his third missionary journey he writes 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. And then... uh, Paul is a prisoner in Rome. That's Acts chapter 28. We've gone all the way to Acts 28. So Paul's first missionary journey is Acts 13 and 14. The Jerusalem Council is Acts 15. The end of Acts 15 begins the second missionary journey. That takes you through Acts 16, Acts 17, Acts 18. At the end of Acts 18, Paul returns to Jerusalem. He starts his third missionary journey. That's Acts 19, 19 and 20. And then 21, he comes back to Jerusalem. There he's taken prisoner, you remember, in Jerusalem. And he's ultimately taken to Caesarea, where he's in prison for two years, and he's shipped off to Rome. 
And that's where Paul is found when he's writing Epistles 7, 8, 9, and 10. Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians. Now, we're not sure about the order of, of when he wrote these epistles. Um, he, he writes them at the same uh, in Rome. Most people think he wrote Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon at the first part of his uh, stay there in, in prison. And Philippians later on, as we'll see, he talks about, I'm, I'm, he thinks he's going to get out pretty soon. And then it's, that's where Acts ends. That's all the history we know in the Bible. So Acts 28, Paul is there under house arrest for two years. He writes these four epistles, including Philippians, and that's all we know from, from Bible history. Everything else is tradition, secular history, what, what, what the early church fathers say. And they say that Paul was released from that imprisonment in Rome, and he made another journey. So what they say... And there's some evidence for this in the epistles. So Paul is in Rome. He has just written Philippians. And he decides to go to Spain. Now Paul had already talked about this when he wrote the epistle to the Romans on his third missionary journey before he ever is in prison the first time. When he's on that third missionary journey, when he writes Romans from Corinth, this would be Acts chapter 20, he says, whenever I go to Spain, I will come to you by way of Spain. So he he is uh, interested in going to the western part of the empire. What's happened, Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 15 is, I've evangelized the eastern part of the empire. Paul didn't evangelize every city. He evangelized the major cities. The major of uh, what he thought were the major on the major trade routes, the major highways, and he expected the church to then evangelize the rest of the area. So Paul says, uh, "I've evangelized." Uh, Paul and Barnabas went down to Cyprus from their first missionary journey. They've come up here into Galatia. They've evangelized that. They've gone over to Macedonia. They've gone to Achaia, to Corinth. They've come over here to Ephesus. And Paul says, writing to the Romans, I'd like to come to Rome, and and I want to have you send me on my way to the western part of the empire. I want to evangelize in Spain and that part. So we we are guessing here, not exactly guessing. Church tradition says that he did go to Spain. The early church writers say that. We don't know that he did or not, but I'm just saying... He wanted to, and he may have. So most likely, he left Rome. He went to Spain. And then he writes in Titus. Now we think, notice on that chart there, that 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy were written after that imprisonment in Acts chapter 28. Paul was released. And when he was released, while he was traveling, he wrote... Uh, 1 Timothy and Titus. So, here he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains. Well, you can't you can't make that verse fit anything in the book of Acts. There's nothing in the book of Acts about Titus being in Crete. So that's a reason why we think that 
This must apply to sometime later in Paul's life when he's on this fourth missionary journey. He leaves, he goes around, we're just hypothetical looking at, he possibly goes to Crete. And uh, Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Remember, Remember the chronology here. Paul is writing 1 Timothy and Titus during this journey. He's eventually going to get back to Rome, be in prison, and be executed there. And that's where he's writing 2 Timothy from. But in 2 Timothy he says, Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left at Miletus. Well, again, uh, there's nothing in the book of Acts about that. So we assume it came later while Paul was on this fourth missionary journey. At the same time, I also prepare a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Now, one of the epistles that Paul writes, Philemon, these prison epistles they wrote during the first missionary journey, was, remember he writes that letter to Philemon, because Philemon's slave has escaped Onesimus and come to Rome. And he's, Paul is found him there, and he's sending him back to Philemon. Philemon is in Colossae. And he tells Philemon, listen, when I get out of prison which we believe he did, prepare a lodging because I hope to come to Colossae again. So we're hyper, the hypothetical idea is, well, maybe Paul did get to uh, Colossae again. Here's First Timothy that Paul is writing during this journey. I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia to remain in Ephesus. So Paul may have gone to Colossae, then to Ephesus, and he tells Timothy, I want you to stay there at Ephesus. And it looks like Timothy becomes the pastor of the church at Ephesus. That he's Paul's representative, sort of. When 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 people teach the the first and second Timothy, it looks like he's the pastor or Paul's representative there at Timothy trying to set things in order. So so I want you to remain, and I'm going on to Macedonia. So I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming shortly. He's telling Philemon again. This, I mean, this is the Philippians. So this is the Philippians when he's in that first Roman imprisonment. He's in prison. He's writing to them. We're going to study that. And he says, I hope to get out of prison, and uh, and I hope to come to you. So we assume he got back to Philippi. We're just saying that. I urged you upon my departure to remain at Ephesus. So Paul left Timothy at Ephesus. He went to Macedonia, we assume, that he got to Philippi. Make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there, he tells Titus. Well, again, you can't fit that in the book of Acts. There's nothing in the book of Acts about Paul there or anything like that. So we assume this came later during this fourth missionary journey, and he's writing to Titus while he's on this journey and saying, uh, I've decided to spend the winter here at According to reliable tradition, Paul was then martyred at Rome. So we believe Paul had two Roman imprisonments. The first one is that Acts 28, the last chapter, where he spends two years under house arrest. We believe he's released. He writes 1 Timothy, Titus, takes a journey, comes back to Rome, is rearrested, writes 2 Timothy from that imprisonment. Tradition says he wrote it from this prison in Rome 
call the Mamertine Prison Building. This is a name that, if you go there, they'll say the Mamertine Prison, but it's not a name that was in use in Paul's day. Has anybody been to the prison? You've been there to the prison? It's not a name. It's a medieval name that was, this was just called the Conqueror, the prison. There was just only one prison in Rome in Paul's day. In the ancient world, they didn't have a lot of prisons. They didn't have prisons in Israel because you were either scourged, beaten, uh, what? Killed? Did you say? You were put to death. They didn't have it like you got a five year sentence for this. There's nothing in the New Te- Old Testament about five years for this, ten years for that. You know, you get, we put you, we'll put you to death. That's what we did. And that was true in the wrong. These prisons were simply for holding prisoners until we could determine what we're going to do with, with you. We don't keep there for a long time. My wife and I were rewatching this uh, thing on PBS called Wolf Hall about uh, Thomas Cromwell and Henry VIII and stuff like that. But there's the Tower of London. You didn't you didn't stay in the tower for 20 years. You went there to die. You, you stayed there until they had a disposition and they decided what to do with you. They put you to death. So this is the prison. Um, if you go there, and uh, this is the uh, the manhole where they drop you down through. So there's two prisons. There's an upper prison here, and there's a lower prison. Tradition says that uh, you had to be dropped in a rope uh, down into this hole. That's how you got in this hole down there. Now, if you go there today, fortunately... Did you go there? You probably walked down the steps. They have some steps today. You don't have to be dropped down. You don't have to be dropped down the hole. But here it is. This is probably where Paul writes, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Tradition says. We don't know for sure, but... That's what tradition tells us. Let's talk about the city of Philippi for a moment. The city of Philippi. So, here's Philippi. You can see that little red dot there. Never wants to work when he needed to work. <laughs> Make it work. Last time it did work. I always spin a key like that. So there's Philippi. <coughs> and, uh, it's in the uh, province of Macedonia. There's a couple, three provinces here, but here's Macedonia with the blue line there. Achaia's down here. Here's Corinth down here. Athens, Corinth. Here's Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi. Here's a closer picture of Philippi <coughs> here in the province of Macedonia. So I say here, it's located uh, about 10 miles from the Aegean Sea. So here's Neapolis, the port. 
and about 10 miles approximately, you have the city of Philippi. It was originally settled in about 359, supposedly from and inhabitants from this little island. You can't see it there, but there's a it says amphibolus over it, but there's a little island there uh, over that P there called Thasos, and they settled it, and they gave the name of it springs because there were these springs that had a lot of water there. So in the ancient world, towns were often um, built around springs. Um, you know, in America, do we have a lot of springs? I don't know. Are there springs around here? You know, I don't know. Maybe there are. But what I was amazed when I went to Israel, springs, all, all kinds of places, just springs, a lot of springs everywhere, you know. Uh, I remember down somewhere like in the mountains of North Carolina, these various springs and stuff. But, you know, uh, you've got to, if you're going to have a city, you got to have water. And so there were these springs, there were rivers there and so forth. So that was a natural place to have a city. Uh, in 356 B.C., Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great, named the city after himself. He enlarged and fortified the city. In 168 B.C., the Romans conquered Macedonia and divided it into four districts. Philippi was the first district, about 800 miles, supposedly, from Rome. The city gained prominence when Anthony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius, Cassius, the assassins of Julius Caesar, at Philippi in 42 B.C. In 31 B.C., the city became a Roman colony. So, Rome was conquering the world. They conquered Greece in about the 2nd century B.C. They, they, about 146, they conquered Corinth. And what they would do is, when you conquered that area, you owned everything. Okay, you... <laughs> Some Greek farmer might have a farm there, but that doesn't make a difference anymore. It's all Roman land now. And so what the Romans would do is, when these veterans got out of the army, they would give them plots of land. And so uh, Philippi was initially set up by the Romans as a place for retired army veterans. And these people were given the rights of Rome. So it's just like you lived in the city of Rome, a Roman colony, when you, when you read the book of Acts, you'll see that it mentions some cities were Roman colonies. Rome would designate these colonies. There would be Romans there, often retired soldiers. And they had all the rights of Roman citizenship, which was a big thing. So that was uh, 31 B.C. Now, the reason it got this important status was because, remember, when Julius Caesar was the dictator of Rome and he was assassinated, um, after him, there were three men that took over. Two of them were Anthony and Octavian. Octavian eventually prevailed and became Emperor Augustus. But this was a big battle where they defeated at Philippi on the plains there. I'll show you the, where they have in a moment. And so in celebration of that, they made a Roman colony. In 27 BC, when Octavian was given the title Augustus. So I got, first of all, there was three men who ruled and then Octavian ruled by himself, and uh, he ruled with the consent of the Senate, but he came to, became the first real emperor, and they gave him the title Augustus, so we call him Augustus Caesar, but his original name was Octavian, remember he was adopted by Caesar. In 27, when he got that title, he changed it to this name, colony, you know, the colony of Julia Augustus Philippi, so this name Julia, Julia, 
is named for Julius Caesar, and Augustus is the title given to him. It was given the law of Italy. Italy. So they were they were governed by the laws of Italy. It's a technical term for meaning. Uh, it's just like a little Rome right there. Uh, meant that citizens had all the rights of those in Italy, including exemption from land, uh, exemption from uh, land uh, land taxes, I should say, and poll taxes. The city became populated by a number of army veterans. Latin was spoken as well as Greek, and the citizens wore Roman dress. They prided themselves on being Romans. When Paul is there founding the church in Acts 16, remember they bring charges against Paul because he, he uh, that demon-possessed girl, he, he uh, removes the demon from her, and so they her owners get upset, and they say... Uh, in their charge against the apostle Paul, they brought before them the magistrates on they they brought them before the magistrates on being uh, and and said these men Paul and Silas are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So they pride themselves on being Romans under Roman law, Roman citizens, and that sort of thing. Philippi was an important stopping place on the Via Ignatia. So the reason Paul stopped there, the reason he, he goes there, is because there was this road, this one of the famous Roman roads, the Via Ignatia, that ran all the way across here to Bosphorus and um, Constantinople later on, Byzantium, and all the way over to the Adriatic. You catch a boat over here and go to Rome. <coughs> so uh, Paul takes the route here, Philippi, Amphibolus, Apollonia, Thessalonica. He actually eventually gets off and goes to Berea here. But so this is the this is this city is on one of the major routes, the Via Ignatia. Um, I say in Paul's day the population was probably around ten thousand. That's based upon what they know about the physical size of the city. So this is a drawing that's sort of depicting the archaeological excavations and I'll show you some pictures here in just a second of what that looks like. So this is a typical Roman city, set up like a Roman city. You've got a wall, no longer there. You've got a hill, an acropolis, usually there was a temple to a god or goddess there. <coughs> um, they had they had foreign they had a temple to foreign de- deities, but that was outside the city. We'll see that forum in a moment. And uh We'll see the traditional prison, supposedly, where Paul was at. And there's the Via Ignatia running right through the city. So the highway ran right through the city. All right, let's talk about the church at Philippi and its founding. The church was established by Paul on his second missionary journey, Acts chapter 16, in approximately A.D. 50. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke made up the missionary team. So, on his second missionary journey, Paul leaves Antioch, and it says at first he goes back to the area of Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Um, he has with him Silas, because he and Barnabas had a split, remember? And Mark and Barnabas go back to Cyprus, where Paul and Barnabas had gone on the first missionary journey. 
So it's it's Paul and Silas at this point. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra. And this is where he he picks up Timothy. Remember he finds Timothy and uh, he makes he makes him part of the missionary team there. And uh, he is now back in the area of Galatia. They traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So here's the province of Galatia. Paul had just written an epistle to them in A.D. 49. A.D. 50 was the Jerusalem Council. They got a letter from the council saying, we, we don't think Gentile, Gentiles do not have to keep the law and be circumcised. So Paul is going back to visit these churches, and he's taking that letter saying, listen, you've had these false teachers come into Galatia. These Judaizers saying, you, you Gentiles have to be circumcised and keep the law. But listen, I, I, I've told you that's wrong. And here's the letter to, to, you know, to, from the Jerusalem Council because these false teachers came to be, came, uh, said they were from Jerusalem, claimed, claimed to be representing the apostles of Jerusalem. So Paul is re- retracing his steps here. This is territory on the first missionary journey, but he's on his second missionary journey. So having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So Paul is seems like he's obviously going over to Ephesus right now. That's where he'd like to go. That's the big city. That's the New York City of the place. That's where you want to go, going to reach the people. But God says, no, can't go there. So he decides to go apparently north, tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go there either. So... They passed down through Mysia and went down to Troas. Troas, sometimes called Alexander Troas. This is a port. It's near Troy, ancient Troy, but it's not ancient Troy. It's, it's near ancient Troy of the Greek uh, legends. So they're at this port. There's not much left of the city anymore. This is a fields covering the ancient city here. There's a few... Uh, Signs of civilization there, remains of the city. If you were to go there today, Tro- Troas was a Roman city. They had a bathhouse. Romans had bathhouses everywhere they, they built anything. That was just considered an absolute necessity as a Roman to have these bathhouses. So you'll always find those. More remains than just remains. about all that we find there. And there's parts of the street, Roman street, with the stones, paved streets. Here's the ancient harbor. Most of these ancient harbors are no more. Uh, they're often off of rivers and they get silted up and they're not really usable anymore. So if you went there today, this is what you'd see. Where This is where Paul would have left and gone over to Macedonia. So Paul is technically in the continent of Asia still. He's at Troas, he's in the continent of Asia. And he gets the Macedonian call there. Remember Acts 16.9? 
he gets a vision of a man of Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Acts 16.9. And this is Europe. So here's Asia. This is Europe. And so he determines, yes, we should go over. So Paul is with uh, Silas. He's with Timothy. And now with Luke, we assume. Because now, if you read the book of Acts, it says we. We. It starts using the first person plural pronoun, we. The author of Acts is also with the Apostle Paul. So we don't know when Luke exactly joined Paul. We don't know if it was earlier, if it was here, sometime. He's with. So they are able to make their way. The winds are very favorable. It's a couple of days they make it to Philippi. They stop first at Thamothrace, this island here where ships would often dock there. And then from there, the next day, they go to Neapolis, which is the port. This is the port of Neapolis at night. It's not called Neapolis today. It's called Cavalla today. And as far as I know, there's been no excavations there. You can't. That's one of the problems. You got cities built on top. You can't just start tearing things down <clears throat> and start excavating. So there's not much of the ancient city. If you looked here, you might think there is because you got that aqueduct there. It looks like a Roman aqueduct, but it was actually built in the 16th century by a Turkish fellow, Suleiman the Magnificent, who ruled the Ottoman Empire. He built it in a Roman fashion, but it's it's not uh, doesn't go back to Roman days. <coughs> so uh, they uh, here's the Via Ignatia that runs from Neapolis, that road we talked about. And uh, from there, from Neapolis, we traveled to Philippi, Paul says. There's that Roman road again that's left of that, the Ignatia from above. And they come to Philippi. Philippi is down in this plain. Here's a view from the Acropolis. Of course, there's a modern city there today, but there still remains there, we'll see. There's a view from the south towards Neapolis. Here's that plain we talked about, the plain of Brutus and Cassius' defeat. The, uh, the uh, assassinators of, of, of Caesar, they fled there at an army, and they were defeated here in this plain. So we're back to Philippi again. So think about the way the city is laid out here. We're going to look at the forum. The Romans call it a forum. The, forum. the Greeks call it an agora or marketplace. Here it is. You can see the rectangular shape there. This drawing, this picture uh, makes the dimensions look incorrect. It's actually 300 foot 
by 150 foot. So it's about the length of a football field, but it's actually wider. It doesn't look that wide there because of the way the camera angle. And so uh, this is uh, not much, but this is what's left. of the center of the city of the Roman city of Philippi still a few columns there so these cities had a this forum was usually surrounded by columns all around very beautiful where these cities were built paved and so forth you see it's a little wider than you think there Forum. <clears throat> Here is um, Page Street. It's kind of, you see the, the way they use these large stones, flat stones. Here's the Via Ignacia that actually runs right through the city. We saw that chart where it runs right through. Here is the actual, we assume Paul would have walked on this road coming right into Philippi. Most Roman cities had a theater, and Philippi also had one. I say here, uh, looking at B again, uh, Philippi apparently had a small Jewish population since there was no synagogue there. According to the Mishnah, which is the uh, rabbinic law a synagogue was to be established where ten male heads of households could be in regular attendance failing this a place of prayer was to be arranged for it was customary for places to be located outside outdoors near water it was there by the river that Paul had his first convert Lydia a Gentile God-fearer others included the jailer and his family Philippi was mainly a Gentile church so this is uh, probably the river. These river here, most think where they would have met and where they would have been baptized. Remember, the first convert there was Lydia. She was actually from Asia Minor, from Thyatira. She had some sort of business. She was apparently a wealthy woman, and she's come to Philippi, and she's a God-fearer. Remember, that term in the book of Acts means a Gentile who is not a full convert to Judaism, but someone who believes in the God of Israel, a Gentile who goes to the synagogue, listens, and so forth, but is not a full proselyte to Judaism. And so when you when Paul goes to the synagogue and you read the book of Acts, he'll often evangelize these God-fearers as well as the Jews who are there. Um so this is these are the initial converts. Um, this is the this is where they say the prison is. What, I'm, what I've read about this, it's there's not you know there's not incontrovertible evidence here that this is the actual prison, but this is traditionally where Paul was kept in prison. Uh, 
So, maybe so. We don't know absolutely for sure. I say here, apparently uh, Luke stayed on to help the fledgling church when Paul and the rest of his team departed for Thessalonica. The we section ends at Philippi. Luke probably remained until he joined Paul at the end of his third missionary journey in Acts chapter 20, about seven years. So Luke, when we get to Philippi, at the end of Acts 16, we no longer have a we section. It's not we, we, we. Paul goes on to Thessalonica. He goes on to Berea. He's by himself. He's with Silas and Timothy, apparently, but not Luke. Luke apparently stays behind to help the church there. Let's talk about the place and date of writing. I say here, Paul was in prison at the time of writing. Um, and we assume that Paul is in, um, in Rome. Paul's in prison. Early tradition says that this was in Rome, more specifically while Paul was under arrest in his own rented house for two years, Acts 28.30. Uh, the information in the letter is in agreement with Rome. That is, when we look at the letter and read what's in there, it seems to indicate that Paul was in Rome. It says, the outcome. I'm saying here, the outcome of Paul's trial would lead to death or acquittal. Paul says, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed but will have sufficient courage that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. So he's saying, whatever happens to me, it's going to be life or death. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So it's, it's very clear here that Paul is in prison. He is in a final place where it's either going to be life or death. There's no appeal. You remember earlier in the book of Acts, when he's in prison in Caesarea, he says, I appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, he could appeal from a local governor all the way to the emperor. And he does. But there doesn't seem to be any appeal here. Apparently, there was no appeal. The place from which Paul wrote had a praetorian. That's the where it's translated the whole palace guard. That's the, the word praetorian which stands for the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard were the emperor's personal guard. And they would have been guarding prisoners, particularly in Rome. And so Paul was probably uh, chained to a Praetorian, a member of the Praetorian Guard. There were present those who belonged to Caesar's household. Um, All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So again, this sounds like Rome, that Paul is in the city of Rome. It's most easy, this phrase is most easily understood as referring to Christian members of the imperial service in the capital who may have had special links with the citizens of Philippi, a Roman colony. The fact that Paul does not mention the collection for the Jerusalem church, which is clearly a priority in Romans and Corinthians, suggests the offering had already been delivered, which indicates Philippians was written after Paul had finished his third missionary journey. When you read those letters like First and Second Corinthians written on that third missionary journey, he's talking about that offering. I'm collecting this offering. He doesn't talk about that here, so it's, he's probably that's already finished. 
Which sex suggests this is after the third missionary journey. This is during this imprisonment in Acts 28, 30. Um, therefore, Philippians was written from Rome in about AD 62, during the latter part of Paul's first imprisonment. This would allow for several trips between Rome and Philippi. In addition, Paul's case is apparently about to be resolved. Paul says, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me and am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Paul feels pretty confident about his case. He's going to get out. He's going to be able to come to Philippi. And we said, tradition says he did. And he made this fourth missionary journey. So uh, we think that Philippians was written... Uh, during this time, during that two-year period, Acts 28, 30, probably toward the end of that time, the last epistle he wrote there uh, during that imprisonment, during the time he was under house arrest there. Well, let's talk about, finally, the occasion and purpose. What do we mean by that? Well, the occasion and purpose are closely related. The occasion is... Why do I write something at, a, at, at this particular time? Uh, most of the, a lot of the documents in the New Testament are called occasional documents because they were written because of a certain event, certain thing happened. Most of my writing, and a lot of my writing is emails. If I write emails, they're occasional documents. Somebody says, somebody sends me a note and says, "What about this?" <clears throat> or maybe I write and say, uh, "I just sent a note." Uh, about our small group meeting tonight. I sent a note to all the members of the small group. And the reason I did was because the occasion is we're meeting tonight. So the, the email was occasioned by the need to tell them we're having our small group. So these epistles by Paul were occasional documents, occasioned by something that happened, some something that came up, some purpose. So purpose and occasion are closely related. There are a number of reasons Paul wrote his letter. One, A... He wanted to thank the Philippians for their generous gift to him, which had been delivered by Epaphroditus. It's sometimes suggested this is Paul's primary purpose in writing. So we'll see as we look through the letter, Paul has received a gift from the Philippians. They supported him all throughout his journeys, as it seems to indicate. And he wants to write and thank them. Some people see this as the major reason, the major occasion to tell them about it thank them for the gift. There was the matter of Epaphroditus. He had been sent to Paul by the Philippians to take care of Paul's needs, according to 2.25, which he did. He had fallen gravely ill and almost died. The Philippians had heard about his illness, which distressed Epaphroditus. Now that he was well, Paul was sending him with this letter. So what's happened is, Paul is in prison. Somehow the Philippians have heard about it. So they sent Epaphroditus to help Paul, one of their own members. And he brings a gift. And while he's there, he, you know, he falls ill and almost dies. And so Paul has to write, he's writing a letter now back saying, listen, he almost died, but he's recovered and, and so forth. And I appreciate him. And I'm sending him back with this letter. He's taking this letter back to them. C. Perhaps Paul wanted to inform the believers of Timothy's approaching visit and prepare them for it. So Paul also says in chapter 2, I'm going to send Timothy. So Timothy is with Paul now in this 
imprisonment or under his house arrest. He's there with Paul. And that's why we say Paul is including him in the opening of the letter. And Timothy was there at the founding of the church, you remember. So he's well known to the Philippians. Uh, Similarly, Paul intended to visit the church in the near future, and the letter would have prepared them for his visit. So he says, I'm planning to come to you, as we read. D, Paul takes this opportunity to bring the Philippians up to date on his situation. What's happened to me? And he says, you know, it looks pretty bad. I'm in prison, and you could get pretty distressed and pretty upset about that. But actually, what has happened has turned out for the furtherance, for the progress of the gospel, amazingly. So that people are hearing about Christ. People in the, the Praetorian Guard, people in the Palace Guard, people in the prison, you know, they're hearing about the gospel from me. So it's not as bad as you think it is. It's turned out actually to be positive in many ways. And so he wants to inform them. They're concerned about what has happened to the apostle. E, Paul wanted to warn the Philippians concerning some false teachers. So in chapter 3, Paul probably picked up from Epaphroditus that there have been some false teachings going on at Philippi. Paul's church has always seemed to be plagued by something like that, you know. And so uh, he's writing to kind of correct that, warn them about that. F, Paul also recognizes the need for the Philippians to stand firm and be united. He, he starts the epistle with that. He ends the epistle with that. That's why some think that that's sort of the, the overall emphasis. They need to be united. I mean, there's actually some divisions there. He actually mentions two women. You know, He calls them out by name in the epistle. How would you like to be there? Now, these, church, these letters... So, Epaphroditus takes this letter to the church, they assemble, and they're reading this letter. And Judea and Syntyche are there, you know? They're sitting right there, one on one side, one on the other side of the church, you know? And they read that letter, you know, and he calls them out by name. Man, can you imagine? <laughs> that is bad. You know, when Pastor Kim calls your name out like he did mine today, you know, <laughs> you know you're in trouble. <laughs> I told people, I don't get mad, but I get even. Just remember about that. So there is this this need for unity in this epistle if they're going to advance the gospel. See this. Some see this as the overall theme of the letter. I think it could be. It's often been suggested that joy is the theme, but joy is more of a mood and not primarily its theme. Okay, so that's sort of an introduction. Any questions about any of that? Yes. Uh, chapter 3, the, uh, the false teachers that would be Judaizers because he wants to, seems that early part of chapter 3 is putting down that yeah. that Judaistic uh, high up. Right. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Feels a little warm in here to me. Yeah. Is it okay? <laughs> okay. All right. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for our time together today. And give us a good understanding of this epistle to the Philippians as we go through it. Thank you for this time together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.